Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com and on your favorite podcast listening platform. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of Biotech 2050 and today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a future of work platform that's organizing, providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise. I'm very excited to welcome Amanda Wagner, president and CEO at Immunitas Therapeutics. Thanks so much for joining us today, Amanda. Hi, Rahul. So nice to be here. Great. So Amanda, to kick us off, walk us through the arc of your career and how you got to where you are today. Happy to. And again, thank you for inviting me to be on the podcast. I have to admit that prior to hearing from Biotech 2050, I I hadn't actually listened to the podcast before. And now I am an avid listener. I went back and binged all the previous episodes. So I definitely have become a fan. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in industry about 16 years. And I really grew up in the R&D side. So I grew up in early program management where I was just basically managing teams that were pushing compounds from preclinical into phase one and phase two. And from there, I transitioned into more of a business development and corporate development kind of role. So I've done Series A, Series B. I've worked on an IPO. I've done tech transfer, major asset sales. Sort of in the middle there, I spent a good amount of time in program leadership. And program leadership was really where I developed a number of the skills that I use today as a CEO. And I think the theme of my career has really been creating and financing startup company pipelines. So I've just always loved working at that intersection of the science and the business strategy. Great, Amanda. And talk to us a little bit about what's been like for you being a first-time CEO and what have been perhaps some of the interesting learnings or surprises being in that seat now. I'll tell you a little bit about how I came to be in the CEO seat and then what I've learned since I've been doing the role. So back in 2019, I was consulting for the Longwood Fund at the time that they were starting Immunitas. And I was coming off an autoimmune disease company. They were doing diligence on the lead asset for the company. And they asked me to come on board as a founding employee. And at the time, I looked at it and I was like, I don't know. IO is real crowded. And they sent me the draft of a cell paper that Kai Wuherfenig had submitted out of Dana-Farber. And it was a collaboration between the Farber, the Broad, Mass General, and MIT. And they had data for this new target that was a CD8 T-cell and NK-cell target. And they had this compelling data in a model of glioma. And having spent so much time in the clinical development space, I was like, man, if it works in glioma, it's going to work somewhere else. And then I met the team. And the founders were just these brilliant, brilliant and kind people that just seemed like they would be really great to work with. And I was at a moment in my career where that was the most important thing to me. I wanted a highly differentiated novel target to work with. And I wanted to be working with a really great group of brilliant people. When I read the paper, I was like, okay, I'm in. And so I came on board as head of strategy, really to figure out what the best fit was going to be for the asset in the clinic. It would work in Glioma. Where else could it potentially work? How did we push it into the clinic in a way that would be really doable for a small biotech company? So that was 2019. We brought in a CEO. I was probably the third employee. And since then, we've really built it up tremendously. And so the CEO we hired was Jeff Goldberg. And last year, we had closed the Series B, very successful, oversubscribed, went really well. And he pulled me aside and said that he was going to step aside to pursue a personal passion project. And he was going to continue to be connected to industry. And he thought I would be a good fit for taking over the role. And the board called me and asked me to step in as CEO. And so that was middle of last year. 
and I've been running the company as CEO. Since then, we've grown out from about 12 people to about just over 30 based in Waltham. That lead program should enter the clinic this year. It's going to be a really exciting 2022 for us. And in terms of the things that I've learned since stepping into the role, I would say there is a transition from being a VP level role or a C-suite level role where your role is to make a recommendation for what the company should do versus the role of actually being the person who has the final say on the decision. And it is really exciting and it's really empowering, but it's a different kind of role to be in to actually have the responsibility for the decisions that are made. I think the other thing that I've learned is that this role is all about the people. For any of your listeners who have spent time in program management, where it really is about navigating and managing teams and team dynamics and stakeholder management, that is a huge core role or core part of what I do as CEO. Great, Amanda. And as you think about your phenotype or folks that are phenotypically similar to you in terms of coming from a corporate and business development background... What have you noticed about the complementary pieces that you need around you or folks that are phenotypically similar to you need around you versus, you know, as an example, we've had folks that have been founders and CEOs of company and and started companies out of their postdoc and they needed folks with business development and corporate backgrounds. I'm curious what you've seen. Yeah. So I think the things that I bring to the table that are really helpful are having seen so much drug development and then having been on the BD side, right? And so I think the pieces that I am thoughtful about surrounding myself with are really the deep science. So one of the things that I've been really fortunate in at Immunitas is that we have an absolutely amazing, brilliant CSO. And that person and I have a great dynamic. You know, if you look on my LinkedIn profile, one of the first things it says is listen to the scientists. You know, I think it's also one of the first messages you learn in any science fiction movie, right? Is listen to the scientists. Yeah, um, and I really, I really take that to heart. I mean, I think that piece of putting people around the table who know so much more about their area of expertise, who really bring thoughtful, creative thinking to the table, and then hearing them out is really the most important part. Thanks for sharing all of that advice. I'm, I'm sure you've learned a tremendous amount as you've been in that CEO seat. So before we jump into the underlying tech at Immunitas and the science, I'd love to hear your perspective on the current IO landscape and the opportunity that you and others at Immunitas have seen. As a small biotech, when we've had conversations with pharma, you know, their biggest question is, how do you know that it's your mechanism working as opposed to PD-1? You know, so many things show efficacy in combination, and then you're not sure where the real effect of the drug is coming from. So I think there's a lot of questions out there in the IO space about those pieces around efficacy. And so when I think about it from Immunitas's perspective, we are focused on highly differentiated novel mechanisms going into novel areas of biology to find new therapeutic opportunities. And so we're focused on differentiated products that go beyond the CD8. That's kind of become a catchphrase for us is, is beyond CD8. When we look at our lead program, our lead program is working on CD8 T cells, but also on NK cells. And as we think about our pipeline, the majority of our pipeline is built around first-in-class opportunities. It's first-in-class product opportunities that push beyond the traditional CD8 cytotoxic T cell and really look at how do we activate other areas of the immune system, other immune cells to become cytotoxic and to enable that activity in the tumor microenvironment. Great. I'm curious to hear, given that you know, you're operating at the intersection also of tech and biotech, what are some of the exciting 
opportunities that you've seen there as well and, and where you think that's coming? Yeah, absolutely. So our discovery process involves a lot of machine learning. And so we are constantly working at this, again, at that intersection of the computational work and immunology. And in fact, even our teams are really fully integrated together so that we seat our immunology groups and our computational scientists together. And there is just a tremendous amount of collaboration that happens there. And I think that that brings really interesting long-term potential to the table in terms of merging tech and biotech. So when I think long-term about it, at this moment, there is no artificial intelligence that can truly replace a smart, savvy computational biologist, right? You still need the human being there to really understand the analysis that is happening and to turn that into something that is therapeutically applicable. And so that's where we sit today. And I think that's part of what makes the work so engaging for our teams is that we do have so much intersection of the computational work and the biology. Great. So now let's get into Immunitas and and the exciting work that you all are pursuing there. Get us up to speed in terms of the science and also where you are from an R&D perspective. Yeah. So our lead asset is targeting CD161, which is, as I mentioned, a TNNK cell target. And that program will go into the clinic this year for both solid tumors and hemalignancies. And it'll go into the clinic both for monotherapy and as a combination therapeutic. And so that is moving along in a really exciting way. In the meantime, in the background, I'll just pause for a moment. One of the biggest challenges that small biotech faces is can you license something from academia and have it perform in the same way when you get it into a startup setting? And many Series A biotech companies spend the first 18 to 24 months of their lives trying to figure out whether or not they can reproduce the process or the platform or the asset performance of what came out of the academic lab. And one of the things I'm most proud of about Immunitas is that we have been able to do that. So we've shown that we can use the process that our founders used in our own hands and identify new targets and then develop new antibodies against them. So behind the lead asset, we now have a research pipeline that is being built out of first-in-class novel assets, novel product opportunities that we've discovered in-house. And that pipeline continues to grow and continues to push again beyond the CD8 space. And so we're looking at myeloid cell targets. We're doing a big push right now into the dendritic cell space, which I'm very excited about and is showing some real promise. I think it's a really exciting time to be in biotech and to be pushing the boundaries of what we've traditionally looked at for IO. Great. And given that you know, you're at the forefront of some really interesting and pioneering scientific innovation, and given that there's probably not a lot of talent out there, how have you been navigating that challenge? As well as then, given that it is a, a new approach, how you think about indication selection as well? Yeah. So really two pieces. So I'll start with the, the talent piece. I mean, clearly the past year has been very intense for talent. And I think, you know, in our case, when we think about the machine learning pieces of that, you know, it isn't that we're just competing with other biotech companies or pharma companies. It's that some of that talent is also coming from places like Google or coming from Meta, coming from Amazon, you know, and so I think that has become just a hyper competitive atmosphere. And I think we're starting to see some correction there now, but in general, especially during COVID, it was a tough time to be hiring. I think the approach we've taken at Immunitas is to set up a really compelling corporate culture. So what we found is that in general, if we can get someone into interview, the corporate culture really resonates. 
And so the conversion rate is very good. And so I think that's really what it comes down to is creating a place that people want to join once they see what it feels like. Great. And if we think about, you know, the silver linings of the pandemic and being optimistic, anything that you've seen over the last two years across either Immunitas or even across the industry as a whole that you hope stays long past COVID? Yeah, I think there's a couple of pieces. I mean, certainly the ability to work more flexibly is real and has been something that our team has really embraced. I mean, all of our meetings now are hybrid, even though the majority of us are in the office at some point during the day. And certainly the folks who work in the lab are coming in. And I think many of us who are not in the lab are also on site pretty much every day. But I think the hours of when that happens, and I've told our company, like, we are never going back to nine to five. The, the question is going to be like, we need FaceTime in order to be creative, in order to bring our most creative thinking and our most integrated thinking across the company. How do we get that and still maintain the flexibility that all of us have come to value over the past couple of years? You know, so far, we've been pretty successful at doing that. And so far, it seems to resonate with the team. Going back to, you know, all that you can achieve in the IO space, particularly not taking a, a CDA approach. And given your business development background, curious how you and the team think about indication selection, because it's easy to get overwhelmed with trying to boil the ocean and any insights you have in terms of frameworks or approaches that, that have really worked for you. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, this all comes back to listen to the biology. And so when we think about patient selection, we are a very strongly biomarker-driven corporate culture. And we are looking for biomarkers both as indicators of response and also for prospective patient enrollment. It's actually one of the interesting places where we've been able to use the machine learning. As part of our discovery process, we have this highly integrated computational biology group. And we use them not only in target discovery, but then as we start to identify the new targets and move them through functional validation, we're also using in silico analyses to point us to different indications. So that by the time we get through functional validation for any given target, we also have an idea of where to go with it from an indication perspective, because we've been able to use the same machine learning techniques in that setting. And much of that work is based in single cell sequencing analysis, but some of it is coming from other data sets as well. So the goal is that when we go through our target discovery process at the end of that, we have a highly differentiated novel target with an antibody against it. And we have an indication selection that's been driven by our computational work as well. Great. And when you think about perhaps recruiting folks from the Googles or the metas of the world, as you mentioned, have you noticed anything in terms of what they bring to the table, as well as perhaps what's unique about onboarding someone with that sort of background that hasn't worked in drug discovery previously? Yeah. So I would actually, I'll reframe it a little bit. I think it isn't just the hiring out of the Google type settings. We also, because our technology is so new, because we are working on techniques that are so cutting edge, we're also doing a lot of hiring directly out of academia. And so I almost would preface it's more on what that transition looks like. And I think part of what we need to focus on in both settings is education just about what drug development is. Because many of the folks that we've brought in, this is their first experience in a biotech setting. So it's their first startup experience and it's their first drug development experience. And so there needs to be just be a certain amount of education around that. 
And that's something that we've prioritized as a company in general is education. And so we are very much in favor of training programs. We're very much in favor of, you know, you want to take this course, we're happy to pay for that, that kind of thing. And we also do a guest speaker series that is geared towards bringing our teams up to speed on different things that are happening in the research space and also in adjacent spaces in science that can sort of help foster creative thinking. So I think that education component about how do we all work together, you know, is different than something that you would find in a traditional academic setting. And then also, where does it go from here? You know, we've actually done a a series of lectures on what happens after you validate the target. You know, how do you make an antibody at scale? What does toxicology look like? How do we push it forward into the clinic? And what does that process look like? Just that everyone is fully aligned on what we're trying to do with the assets that we bring forward. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've observed has been that there's inherent risk in everything we do in drug development, right? And perhaps folks in academia that haven't been exposed to that level of risk in biotech are not used to that volatility. I'm curious from a corporate culture perspective, how do you talk about or how do you think about you know, failures? Because inherently there will be failures along the way to continue to keep the team motivated when you're in such a high growth position right now with lots of momentum. Yeah, I think so much of this comes down to, you know, one of my key takeaways from my career is just that teams that want to be in the room together can rebound from scientific challenge. And whether it is that they pivot or whether it is that they try a different approach or they pull something else up forward out of the pipeline, I think if the team is excited to be in the room together, the likelihood of them finding a successful path forward is so much greater. And so part of what we focus on is when we think about hiring, how do we get the right people in the room? And how do we think about the cultural mindset of team discussion? How do we create that sense of psychological safety where people can bring forward creative thinking, where people can accept the fact that there may be failure, that there may be risk, that there may be these unknowns and that they have to make decisions without all of the information that they wish they had, right? And the best way to do that is to create really strong, respectful, communicative teams. And so that's a key focus of what we're trying to do at Immunitas. Wonderful. Great advice, Amanda. So let's look into the future a bit. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on particular challenges that we may face as an industry, as well as then opportunities that you want our listeners to think about. Yeah, certainly when I think about the future, I see things from both a a macro perspective and a micro perspective, right? At a macro level, I think we have been historically a very sort of US and EU centric industry around innovation and around access to the therapies we develop. And I would love to see in the future that we really see an expansion of global access and the progress of global innovation in the biotech space. I think the challenge that we face on sort of that global level is that I think the impact of climate change is going to be really noticeable. You know, we've talked a lot about different intersections, intersections of biology and technology, intersections of science and business strategy. And I think that intersection of health and climate change is going to be a really interesting and compelling place for us to be thinking about in the future. And so I look forward to seeing us move more towards solutions and and identification of what those issues are going to be. 
on a micro level, I've had some fun conversations on the tech side around the fact that the technology that we use, things like the devices that we use, are all going to go through both a miniaturization and a commoditization in the next 20 to 30 years. The devices that we use that currently are handheld or are large machines or whatnot are all going to become very, very small. And the ability to use them in healthcare settings on that miniaturized scale, on an implantable scale, that is just going to be a fascinating space to watch in the future. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so now let's take a step back. And as you think about your younger self, what's one piece of advice that you wish you could provide your younger self, given all that you now know? I think it would be, don't be afraid to leap. You know, I think sometimes we hesitate to try new things. I would say a key learning from my career has been that the ability to try new things is what has exposed me to lots of different facets of drug development, facets of technology, facets of drug discovery. And I think that exposure across a lot of different functional areas, across different companies, exposure to different management teams, exposure to different leadership styles, all of that sort of allows you to build a personal philosophy of how you want to move forward in your career. And it also enables creative thinking. It's sort of like you can't build a bridge between A and B unless you've seen A and seen B. And so doing different things, trying on different roles, working in clinical development and business development and program management, you know, I think that kind of breadth allows you to start building those bridges and to see how all the pieces fit together. I had a mentor very early on who said, go into program management because you'll see how all the pieces fit together. And that was absolutely brilliant advice. You know, I learned how CMC fit with regulatory, fit with the financing piece and the budgets and the timelines and the milestones that were important to us as a company externally. And so I think that that piece of exploring different facets and not being afraid to transition to something that you're less familiar with, I think that's a core piece of advice for someone who wants to really grow in their career. Yeah. And, and that that sort of pattern recognition only comes with breadth of experience over time. Exactly. Uh, so that's, that's certainly right on. Okay. Wonderful. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you on and wishing you and your colleagues at Immunitas continued success on the exciting work that you all are pursuing. Great. Thanks so much, Rahul. Enjoyed the discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.